All right. Welcome to Real Pod Wednesdays. This is December 15th, and we've got a little bit of a curveball here today on the show, folks, because Dan Hope, the usual host of the show, star of the show, some might say, is not here. He's been under the weather with some type of flu-like symptoms, non-COVID related, but he is a little bit under the weather, so he will not be joining us today. But perhaps it makes more sense for us to bring in our recruiting analyst, expert extraordinaire Garrick Hodge because of course on Wednesday today it is an early signing day and Ohio State will be bringing in another phenomenal recruiting class and and Garrick will be able to tell us more about all things Ohio State recruiting as signing day approaches here on Wednesday so so Garrick welcome to the show have you have you been on one of these before yes I I was co-host with Johnny when one of these, when we had to do a Buffalo Wild Wings show, when Andy had to go trick-or-treating with his uh, child during Penn State weekend. I'd, you know, just like to offer an early apology to all of our listeners that uh, five-star talent Dan Hope is replaced (laughs) with three-star project scrub Garrick Hodge. So bear with me and we'll see if we can get through this signing day together, huh? Yeah, Garrick. And so, I mean, what are some of the main storylines here on signing day that that people are going to be, you know, most interested in, you know, to to a a peek behind the curtain is we're recording this before Wednesday, but, you know, we we still know, we think we know most of what's going to to end up unfolding here, but what are some of the main uh, storylines on signing day for Ohio State? Well, I think first and foremost, the main storyline is Sonny Styles reclassifying from the 2023 class to the 2022 class. I mean, I think that's just your headline, 70-point font right there and then. And uh, we're going to be able to talk to Sonny later today and kind of get his perspective on why he chose to do this. But, you know, as we've written about it on 11 Warriors, it's a lot different of a scenario than, you know, the Quinn Ewers reclassification, which was, you know, a guy from Texas coming all the way up to the other part of the country, had a lot of NIL incentives that he, he never, you know, shied away from or various media reports never shied away from. Where Sonny Styles is, you know, 30 minutes away from Columbus, going to have his, you know, family support and his friends right down the road from him and is really going to get a start on the weight training program and kind of seeing what the college experience is like. I don't necessarily expect him to contribute a lot his first year, if at all. But I know that's might make a little some Ohio State fans wary considering, you know, Bryson Shaw and Lathan Ransom have gotten a lot of heat from a lot of fans, quite frankly. And who knows if Josh Proctor will come back 100 percent next year, even though he's fully expected to, as far as we all know. But, yeah, I think, you know, when you land a talent like Sonny Styles, who has announced publicly himself by now that he plans to sign today his national letter of intent. So he's going to be locked in. You know, he's a. He was a top 10 prospect in the 2023 class. He's a top 15 prospect in the 2022 class. Landing a five-star in-state talent like that, I mean, you can't help but be excited about what he could be at Ohio State, considering he's going to be able to slot into that bullet, you know, and play that hybrid linebacker safety position that this defense has kind of shown the past couple seasons. And really, I mean... If for whatever reason he acclimates to college really fast once he starts getting on campus in June for the workouts and stuff and he picks up the scheme and for whatever reason he's, you know, one of the top defensive players that Ohio State has on its roster, his versatility allows him that he could play linebacker, he could play safety straight up in the free safety spot if he had to. 
And yeah, I mean, the possibilities are kind of endless with him. That being said, I think it's best to probably temper expectations for his first year, at least. But come 2023, I think that he's probably your projected opening day bullet, assuming Ronnie Hickman has another great season and uh, declares for the NFL draft after next year. Well, and how much have you actually seen of Sonny in person? I know you've been to a, at least a, a couple games, right, this this past season? Yeah, I think two, two or three times. And I will say that watching Sonny is actually kind of boring, mostly because that no one really throws his way mm-hmm. <laughs> for for obvious reasons. But it is it is nice to see kind of his versatility because, you know, he'll line up 15 feet deep in the secondary at the free safety spot traditionally and kind of prowl there and make sure, you know, he creates a no fly zone for Pickerington central, but then he'll also line up in the box to stop the run. And then he'll line up on the edge to rest, rush the passer on certain scenarios. And um, like, you really can just tell he's like a Swiss army knife out there defensively and he's being deployed for various different reasons. And even what every once in a while they used him at wide receiver. Well, all the games I saw of him, he was there to basically just play decoy. He was never thrown at, but you know, once they put him out there on offense, like everyone flocked to his side of the field because they knew his versatility and his quickness and all the assets that he brings on that side of the ball. Obviously he's going to be a defensive player at Ohio state, but um yeah, uh, I, everyone read the scouting report and uh, stayed away from Sonny for most of the prep games that I was able to see him at. But he certainly looks the part, being a physical freak of nature. Obviously, his good bloodlines, his his father, Lorenzo Sr., was a former Ohio State linebacker. His brother, Lorenzo Styles Jr., is a current wide receiver for Notre Dame. As much fun as it would be to see them go head-to-head week one, we're probably not going to get that matchup unless Sonny is just off the charts better than we all expect right away. But 2023, they're supposed to play again. So uh, circle that one on in your calendars because I know the uh, the Styles parents are, even though uh, his mother, Laverna, has already told me that she's kind of sweating that game out because she's a little nervous for having to watch a game with two sons on opposite sides of the ball, but should be a good time. And, and Garrick, obviously Wednesday's early signing day, but th- but the entire class won't necessarily be wrapped up until you know after that, of course. And so one of our questions here from the forum, AZ Buckeye 13 asks, who closes out the 2022 recruiting class for the Buckeyes? Just wondering, Gary, if you have any thoughts on, you know, how Ohio State could wrap the class up even after Wednesday? Yeah, sure. I think first and foremost, they're going to have two defensive linemen wrapped up by the time Wednesday ends. And that's Kenyatta Jackson Jr., who's a true defensive end and a pass rusher. And Caden Curry, whose really role isn't really defined yet because while he played defensive tackle primarily in high school, he could also conceivably play defensive end at college or kind of be a rotating guy that plays a three technique and moves outside and then moves in. He could play nose guard if he really wanted to. And his, you know, his frame and his size and quite frankly, his tenacity probably will get him on the field sooner rather than later. But having said that, Ohio State truly needs defensive linemen, right? And as we, you know, it's probably the biggest, uh, every time I post a recruiting article, one of the, especially if it's an offensive player, like giving an update on like where his recruitment's at, a lot of the comments are always, we don't need a damn quarterback or wide receiver. We need defensive linemen. Did you watch that Michigan game? And I'm here to tell you that they will definitely still be in heavy pursuit of Hero Canoe and Amari Aber. And I think that they're in pretty... 
uh, good shape with both more so hero than Amari more because, you know, Amari is kind of a hard one to read, but um, I think they're in good shape with hero and really they need true defensive tackles and hero would certainly fill that void. The rumor is around him that he's going to silently commit and probably sign today. And then, but he won't announce his commitment until January 8th at the all American bowl in San Antonio. Whereas I don't know. Some some reports have said that Mari will announce his decision on January 2nd at his All-American game in Orlando. And then some said he won't even announce it until February. And there's also been conflicting reports that he's going to sign tomorrow, but not hold off on the announcement until January. And then other reports that he won't sign until February. So that one's kind of hard to read. And then the last one that I think that they can add that, that won't wrap up by Wednesday is Carson Hinsman and He's a four-star offensive lineman from Wisconsin, which fun fact for you, he would be the only the third player ever to play for the Buckeyes that's from Wisconsin. So that is need and the first one since I can't remember off the top of my head, but decades, decades. So they do not win offensive lineman recruiting battles, actually any recruiting battles in Wisconsin, hardly ever. So winning that one with Wisconsin, because it's a two horse race at the moment, would be pretty significant. Uh, There's a port that surfaced Monday of this week that said Carson may not decide by Wednesday. And at this point, I have no reason to believe he's going to. So unless, you know, we get a Wednesday or Thursday or Friday signing day miracle that he decides by then it's probably going to drag out into January and February, but I don't know. I have, this is just more speculation than it is sourced, but I think that if Carson really wanted to stay home at Wisconsin, he probably would have done it by now. It's just a little harder to, I don't know, actually put pen to paper and break away and not sign with a team you grew up rooting for. But I definitely think that his family is very conflicted because after he visited on October 30th, that was the Penn State game, you know, there was the expectations that he was going to drop his decision pretty soon. And well, we're at the early signing period and doesn't seem like we're close to a decision unless he's going to surprise us all here. But but I would like I like where Carson stands on that regarding Ohio State. But if he picks Wisconsin, it wouldn't shock me whatsoever. But you know, this is a podcast where we make predictions and such. So I will say that the other three additions that Ohio State adds is Hero, Amari, and Carson. So I think they will wrap up with those three to give them a decent finish to the 2022 signing class. So kind of zooming out a little bit and looking at the class as a whole, I know this is obviously your first Ohio State recruiting class coming in that, that you're, you've covered because this is obviously your first year at 11 Warriors. Where does the class rank, you know, nationally and also how does it stack up to the last, you know, few Ohio State classes? Have you gotten a chance to look at at that type of thing and, and just how, how good is this class compared to, to some of the other top programs around the country? Sure. Well, right now it ranks fourth heading into National Signing Day. And at this point, it's pretty much locked in to be another top five class. It'll be their third straight top five class. Um, 2021 was their highest rated class ever. It's not going to quite get that high, most likely. That was number two nationwide in 2021. In 2020, they were fifth in the nation. And then going back all the way to 2019, they were 14th nationwide. So shaping up to be a third straight top five finish nationwide in recruiting class. I think they're probably locked into this point to finishing better than Penn State, uh, who's currently at the fifth spot because Penn State's just about done right now. The others ahead of them, Georgia, Alabama, and Texas. Texas A&M. I mean, I think A&M's not done and they're going to add quite a few more premier players. So I wouldn't be surprised when 
all is said and done, if A&M's either number two or number one, they're currently number three at the moment. But no, I mean, Georgia and Alabama both have more five stars than Ohio State's going to end up with, which definitely inflates the point total quite a bit. And But I think Ohio State will finish either four or three, somewhere around there, which I don't think is shabby whatsoever. I mean, you take a look at the class. It's very loaded at wideout. You know, you add a highly touted quarterback in Devin Brown that we'll kind of touch on later um, to offset the losses of Jack Miller III and Quinn Ewers. You have a linebacker duo in C.J. Hicks and Gabe Powers that is nothing to sniff at whatsoever. And then, you know, the offensive line, it is what it is. I think Tegra is a developmental project that's highly touted that could contribute two years down the road and be a pretty good guard for Ohio State. Avery Henry really came on the scene this whole last year, lost more than 60 pounds, um, slimmed down to just over 300 pounds, which I know is kind of hard to fathom that he slimmed down to just over 300. But just standing next to the guy uh, on one of the visits, that is a massive human being and he's a good kid and his worth ethic is off the charts. So I think he definitely has a chance to be one of the more underrated prospects in the class. And then George Fitzpatrick finishing up the offensive line for Wednesday is a true tackle prospect from Colorado that has gone 35 and two his last three years in high school. So proven winner and uh, pretty uh, nasty offensive lineman with that main streak that they're going to be looking for. And Garrick, when I look at this class, one thing that jumps out at me, because it's a big talking point with the, the history of the program, right? So going from Jim Tressel to then going into the Urban Meyer era, one of the big points of emphasis was taking Ohio State's recruiting strategy and, and not just putting a fence around Ohio, but, but going to places like Florida. Recently, it's been places like Texas and getting guys, these big time national prospects. And Ohio State still, you look at a, a Zach Harrison, a Jack Sawyer, these guys the last few years that have been in a Paris Johnson as well. These, these big time recruits from Ohio, those are still obviously a staple of Ohio state's recruiting strategy, but there seems to be a lot of this class seems to be top heavy with Ohio guys, which I don't know if it has been as much in recent years. Cause I think like, what is it? I'll take a look at here at the, the actual rankings. If I can, where are we at? I want to say, so with CJ Hicks, Sonny styles, and then Gabe Powers, that's three of the top one, two, three, four, five, three of the top five guys in the class are all from Ohio. What do you think about, you know, just how much in-state talent is, is in this class in this cycle? I'd say it's a little more, I wouldn't say that they're recruiting more in-state talent. I would say that the in-state talent is slightly more top heavy than it's been in previous years. I guess just because I think the talent in Ohio for 2022 is much better than it has been maybe the past few years. But I wouldn't say that they, because I mean, if you look at the numbers, 2020 class, seven Ohio guys signed in 2020, six in 2021, and now six will sign in 2022. So really the number has stayed pretty consistent the last three cycles, but, and Honestly, the number would have been lower than the past two cycles if Sonny hadn't reclassified. And he certainly inflates the in-state rankings a little bit because he's now considered 2022 and him and CJ Hicks are both five-star guys. So, but yeah, I don't think you can really go wrong with an in-state trio that's as highly touted as, you know, Gabe Power, CJ Hicks and Sonny Style. So I would say that I 
just think they happen to reap the benefit of recruiting a Ohio class that has a little bit more cream of the crop in terms of nationwide recruiting cycles. Then, but you also have to remember that Jack Sawyer was no slouch in 2021, being a top 10 recruited prospect. So Ohio has certainly produced a lot of prime players over the past few seasons. But I think to your point, yeah, I mean Ohio is always going to be a point of emphasis, especially because. Guys like going back to Avery Henry in this transfer portal era where you get a one-time free transfer and, you know, seemingly there's a four-digit number of players in college that are now in the transfer portal because, you know, they realize they're not going to start by the time they want to. Ryan Day and the rest of his staff has really put an emphasis on recruiting guys that are really committed to being Ohio State Buckeyes. And I really don't think you can get anyone that really knows what that means more than in-state Ohio players. Now, I mean, you're always going to have to get Florida, California, and Texas players if you want to stay nationally relevant, because those are, you know, the three premier states in the country. But Brian has said that recruiting Ohio is always big on their list, and I don't think that's ever going to change. Now you talk about players that want to be Buckeyes and players that know what it means to be a Buckeye and, and things like that. Obviously, you have to start with C.J. Hicks in, in, in terms of those categories. Captain Buckeye, as he's been called during his recruitment here. We talked about Sonny Styles already. You mentioned guys like Gabe Powers and C.J. Hicks, because linebacker is another one of those positions for Ohio State where you look at this year with the, the transfers out at that position, a, a guys coming and going. That, that's another position of concern for Ohio State fans, I think, moving forward, even when we've seen guys like Steel Chambers step up and, and play good in that in that role. It still, I think, is an is an area of concern moving forward for Ohio State. But you know, two of those two of the top five guys in this class are linebackers and they are from Ohio. What have you seen out of uh, or, or how would you assess the what you've seen from from CJ Hicks and Gabe Powers and how quickly could they contribute right away once they get on campus? Well, in regards to CJ, first of all, before we get into his on-field attributes, I don't think I've ever seen a peer recruiter that's more invested than CJ. Uh, I mean, the guy is literally everywhere. He went to every single Ohio State home game this fall, every single one. And when he was there, he was always in the ear of every premier recruit, basically saying, hey, come join me. And even, you know, he's respectful enough to let the decisions play out to do what's best for, you know, his peer. But if they want to learn about what it's like to be an Ohio State Buckeye, he's not going to have any problem telling them and encouraging them on social media to come play with him for the next couple of years. I think he truly earned that nickname, Captain Buckeye, especially, you know, I saw him October 9th um, when the Ohio State played Maryland and he had A.J. Harris, a five-star cornerback from 2023, who is Ohio State's top cornerback target in that cycle. And an hour before the game, when, you know, recruits are allowed on the field to kind of soak in the atmosphere, C.J. Hicks did not leave A.J.'s side at all that I saw. And, you know, he just, every premier recruit that comes in, going back to what I said, he sends him a tweet like, get A.J. Harris to Columbus or something like that. And I think... Sonny's kind of adopting uh, that kind of strategy on social media to quote tweet, you know, an announcement from a recruit to say, get this guy to Columbus. But I think CJ is definitely going to be a fan favorite for the next three years because, you know, he's got a charismatic personality. He's that man loves Ohio State and is probably, you know, I mean, he's probably the biggest Ohio State fan I've ever seen and he hasn't played one snap for them yet. So as a player, man, the guy's everywhere. Like (laughs) 
he's he's involved on seemingly every snap on the defensive side of the ball. He fills gaps really quickly. He's got amazing side to side agility. He's got good size, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's planning a significant role for Ohio State right away. We'll have to see how that kind of shakes out during fall camp and kind of how quickly he gets acclimated to college because, you know, some guys, no matter how highly touted they are, can be pretty humbled right away when they step on a college campus and face off against guys that are two to three years older than them. But I think CJ could definitely contribute for Ohio State immediately considering what that position group looks like at the time, the depth that it has at the time, and the build and the ability of CJ. Now, Gabe is uh, maybe a slightly less college ready than CJ is, but I still think that he could see snaps his freshman year. You know, at Marysville, he, you know, was the captain of the defense, a linebacker, also very good at filling gaps. Also was kind of a big burly running back. That was kind of interesting to see him run and just take like three people to bring him down on every play. One of those, uh, death by a thousand paper cut running backs rather than the 70 yard home run hitters. But, you know, there's been a lot of talk that Gabe's going to move to defensive end in college because he's got the frame forward and, you know, could fight off some tackles, but he hasn't really confirmed that that I've seen. So I still think they're going to roll with him at linebacker and maybe make the uh, adjustment if needed. And, you know, Jim Knowles, new defensive coordinator for Ohio state kind of has used in his past defenses, a hybrid position that's kind of half linebacker, half like edge rusher. And I feel like Gabe Powers could definitely fit into that mold based off his skill sets. There's, I mean, there's some other guys that could as well that Ohio State has and could bring in, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Gabe in that kind of package if he acclimates as fast as he needs to. Yeah, and those are some of the heaviest hitters, of course, in Ohio State's class. Talking about C.J. Hicks, Sonny Styles, of course, we've talked about Gabe Powers as well. A lot of defensive guys as well, which is interesting. Now, Garrick, what about some of the guys that might be a little less touted coming in? Some names that, that haven't been discussed quite as much, maybe not the headlining names, but a couple of underrated guys, a couple diamonds in the rough, if you will. Who would you kind of point to in that mold out of this class as guys that could be interesting prospects for Ohio State that aren't getting quite the same hype as some of the guys at the top of the class? Well, it's kind of hard to find those guys because almost everybody that signs with Ohio State is either a four or five star recruit. But there is two three stars in this class that I think kind of fit that mold. And we already discussed one of them, Avery Henry. Don't want to belabor the points already made, but, you know, hard worker, true tackle. I think if he plays, I don't want to, you know, fall into the territory of comparing every really large developmental offensive tackle to Dewan Jones, because I think that's pretty unfair to how athletic and uh, agile DeWand was with his basketball ability. But I do think that Avery, you know, he spends two or three years in Ohio State system and really develops that he could turn into a starting left or right tackle one day. I think, you know, he's one of those prospects that half of the fan base are like, all right, let's give this guy a chance. And the other half are like, well, stud gonna stud, I guess. But I, I mean, kind of like I said, I just like stood next to the guy and, you know, I was kind of standing next to George Fitzpatrick while I was taking photos for the Penn State field. And I mean, don't get me wrong. He was a big guy, but I stood next to Avery Henry and I was like, whoa, that guy is a lot. And I just really think he fits the mold of, and I think he's going to put on more weight, but good weight once Ohio State gets him in assist in their system. And 
I think he's got a chance to be a productive lineman if he keeps it up. But again, you know, he's very raw. He's a project. And there's also the possibility this ends with him never seeing the field. The other guy that is kind of underrated is Bennett Christian, who 24-7 has kind of fluctuated on. I've seen him as a four-star. I've seen him as a three-star. In the composite rankings, he's a three-star. In the 24-7 rankings, he's a four-star. So kind of interesting how all that shakes out but and I think part of that is because you know Bennett only played four games his senior year for various circumstances only caught five passes for 70 yards as a tight end in his junior year I think he had 220 yards and two touchdowns somewhere around there and he played for a very run heavy offense but I think Bennett Christian you know just from his film and from you know seeing him in workout videos and such he this guy can be a dual threat tight end who can be a magnificent blocker and a very serviceable pass catcher. I know that a lot of Ohio State fans have begged the Buckeyes to throw to tight ends for years and seemingly get Ruckert more involved and guys like that. And for whatever reason, it usually just doesn't seem to happen as often as they'd like it to. So I, I'm not saying that Bennett's going to turn into a receiver that catches 50 passes a year or anything like that, but I think that he could have definitely a decent amount of use in both aspects, run blocking and pass catching. Um, I don't see him being a guy that sees the field right away in 2022, especially with the guys that are ahead of him as of now, but I could see him on the field in two to three years, no problem. So, Derek, one more big piece that we haven't talked about yet is one of the more recent developments in this class, and it's at the quarterback position, of course, because Devin Brown, the former USC commit, I believe, and unless I'm completely getting that wrong there. Yes, yes. With all the coaching changes, I'm like, was it the, it's, it's, it's messing with my head with, with the who was where just a few weeks ago. But, yes, the former USC, USC commit, Devin Brown, at the quarterback position, just committed to Ohio State on I believe December 1st which that was before Quinn Ewers had actually transferred out of Ohio State so at that point you're like wow I mean this room is really getting crowded you know what I mean especially with CJ Stroud being of course a Heisman finalist and everything like that but of course after Devin Brown's commitment Quinn Ewers hits the transfer portal, which wasn't too shocking to anybody but now that kind of opens things up because of course Quinn Ewers was that top ranked prospect in the 22 class. And now with Devin Brown's commitment, that gives a, a replacement there in, in that slot that, that Quinn Ewers once filled, but, but has since vacated. And, and so what would you say, and what have you seen out of him as a guy that's going to come in and potentially now have more of a, an opportunity here in the next few years. than it seemed like he might've just a few weeks ago. Sure. I think that it speaks to Ryan day and the QB guru that he is that he, <laughs> can keep bringing in these talented quarterbacks, even when they start shuffling out and going elsewhere. Devin made his commitment. Uh, Jack Miller, the third had already entered the transfer portal at that point. But like you said, Quinn was still a Buckeye, but you know, a lot of people asked Devin that question, like, why would you go to Ohio state? That QB room is very crowded. And to paraphrase, he basically said, I don't care. I'm not afraid of competition, bring it on. So this guy's a gamer. And if you watch his film, the guy has a cannon, for, for lack of a better term. This guy can sling it. He probably loves to sling it a little too much. If there's one flaw uh, to his game, he can sometimes maybe pass up a 
five yard open quick hitch because he wants to stretch the field a little too much. But, you know, the guy can hit the fly, the guy can hit the comeback, the guy can hit the deep post, the guy can hit every single route that you ask him to. He broke a single season Utah state record for most passing yards in a single season this past season. And I believe he scored somewhere around 65 total touchdowns in his senior season, both in, through the air and on the ground. So pretty crazy stuff. And before that, well, at Utah, he ran the traditional spread offense, but his sophomore and junior seasons at Arizona, he played under former Ohio state bucket quarterback, Joe Germain. And ran more of a pro style offense. And I mean, Joe was very complimentary of Devin saying that he can make any throw on the field and is as gifted with an arm that he's seen out of a quarterback prospect. And he's pretty excited to watch him play for his alma mater and regards to his, you know, where he's fits in with Ohio state immediately. I mean, well, you can throw 2022 out of the book because duh, CJ Stroud just finished fourth in the Heisman voting. So he's pretty de facto uh, QB one for 2022 and more than likely not going to declare for the draft after this next season, which leaves an interesting fall camp battle for the backup quarterback position between Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. And Devin's going to be an early enrollee. So he, he'll be there for spring ball. So kind of get a leg up, which usually, you know, you're going to have to do if you have any chance of being the backup for his first year, but really I mean, whoever kind of wins that backup battle is going to have the leg up on being the starter in 2023, barring, of course, transfers or in premier 2023 class QB additions. But I think it's going to be pretty fascinating to see Kyle McCord and Devin Brown go head to head for kind of that backup role of Kyle having a year already in the system. And, you know, Devin, I mean... I'm just going to tell you guys, watch the All-American Bowl on January 8th if you haven't seen him before, because the guy's arm strength is no joke, and he's very fun to watch. And he plays a style of football that I like where, you know, it's uh, throw it all over the field and less like hard nose, run it up the middle with fullbacks that Wisconsin and Iowa like to do. But, yeah, I think that considering how much talent has left the quarterback room over the last few months, Ryan Day bringing in a talent as capable as Devin Brown, who isn't afraid to battle with Kyle McCord for the backup spot and tries to establish himself as the main guy, as a quarterback of the future. I mean, it's pretty remarkable to bring in guys that are that highly touted without, you know, being able to guarantee him a starting job right away. Garrick, it's kind of funny. We've gotten so used to seeing these big-time wide receiver hauls from the likes of Brian Hartline and Brian Day in the recruiting game that we haven't even touched on the fact that Ohio State's bringing in four more four-star wide receivers in this class alone with guys like Caleb Burton, Caleb Brown, Keon Grays, and Kojo Antwi as well. A lot of a lot of an, another class that's loaded with wide receiver talent. You sometimes wonder, like, man. Some of these guys, you know, they're not going to get the, the role that they, they might want right away, but, but it's a competitive room and we've seen it, you know, work out very well for guys like Garrett Wilson, of course. And, but, but we, we've gone about a half an hour now on signing day and Ohio State's 2022 recruiting class. We'll talk about more things as it pertains to recruiting in the coming weeks, as well as the, the class kind of winds down here. But Garrett, let's, let's get into some other topics here because there were some other interesting developments, of course, in the world of Ohio State sports since last week, 
One of them being, of course, C.J. Stroud was in New York this past weekend for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. I don't think any of us were under the impression that he was going to upset the apple cart and win the award, but he did finish fourth out of the four finalists that were in New York. Of course, Bryce Young won the award. Garrick, were you surprised at all with how the voting uh, shook out there in the end, the Heisman Trophy voting? Um, not really. I mean, we all knew Bryce Young was going to win, right? Honestly, if I had a vote, I don't. But if I did, I probably would have put him third ahead of Pickett. But I don't necessarily hate Pickett finishing ahead of him. But personally, I would have put Stroud ahead of him. The rest of it is basically verbatim how I would have voted. So especially, you know, Hutchinson just destroying world-class Ohio State offensive lineman in that last game. That was all I needed to see from him to be like, all right, this dude's a baller. But I, I don't think there's much surprise on how it kind of shook out with, you know, maybe switching three and four around. But really, I don't really know if you can say that you're shocked by that. Yeah, I was going to say the only thing for me was, you know, maybe Stroud ahead of Pickett. But I get it because it's like the Ohio State offense and all the weapons. That's kind of been the knock on CJ Stroud all year in terms of his Heisman contendership, right? It was just that he has so much to work with. And, you know, does that does that make him less of a, a true Heisman candidate, you know, than a guy like Kenny Pickett that's that's a little bit more of, you know, coming out of the, the woodwork, so to speak, and becoming this high-profile name in college football. But you mentioned Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson, of course, and that him being on stage with C.J. Stroud, given that the Ohio State loss to Michigan was just a couple weekends ago, that made Before you get where you're going, because I know you're getting there, I do, I do want to make a quick comment that – all right, because Joe Burrow had nobody to throw to in uh, Jefferson or Jamar Chase the year he won it, right? Just thrown to a bunch of scrubs, horrible players. Anyway, I, I just like love that argument when it's brought up like, oh, oh he's got all these world-class wide receivers. Yeah, and all Heisman QBs typically do. Anyway, go on with the drama because it's going to be uh, going to be fiery, I'm sure. Right, right. Well, no, I mean, but the, you could say the same thing about Bryce Young, right? I mean, Maybe there's not a Devontae Smith on the uh, Alabama roster this year, but man, Jamison Williams was, was, uh, you know, not that far away from that caliber this year from, from what we saw out of him. But yeah, so getting back to the Ohio state Michigan thing, because that is what ate up a lot of headlines, especially for Ohio state fans when it comes to the Heisman ceremony, because nobody was expecting CJ Stroud to win. So I'm guessing there was a lot of Ohio state fans that might not even, even tuned in to the ceremony, but I'm sure they did see, or at least hear about something that happened with, Aiden Hutchinson and Desmond Howard, of course, the 1991, I believe, Heisman Trophy winner for Michigan. He took a little shot at C.J. Stroud in the Ohio State offensive line in particular because Aiden Hutchinson was given a little bit of a speech during the broadcast, and he basically said the goal this season was to come back, beat Ohio State, win a Big Ten championship. Then he kind of looks over at C.J. Stroud, and it gets a, it gets a pop from the crowd, and people are kind of laughing. Tim Tebow hops in, and he goes – Man, Kenny Pickett, I'm glad you're you're standing in between these two guys right now. And and then Desmond Howard chimes in and goes, "Well, yeah, he's doing a better job than Ohio State's offensive line." And that that drew another big pop from the crowd, but one one person that did not it did not draw a response out of per se was CJ Stroud himself who who did not look very pleased with the remark. He wasn't exactly like smiling and laughing about it. He was more kind of just like looking down and and you could kind of almost feel the wheels turning there and and see how you know, that might be a point of motivation for next year, but how did that whole situation hit you? And what did you kind of make of, of Desmond Howard making that remark in the moment there? Yeah, it looked like steam was kind of coming out of CJ's head, didn't it? Like just yeah. slowly internally, but all right. So 
Personally, I love Rivalry Smack Talk. I love it. I think that it's make what makes rivalries great. I think that, you know, when you win a big rivalry game, you get to say things like Jim Harbaugh said, like uh, people stand are on third and they think that they've hit a triple, but they were born there, et cetera. And, you know, they get to talk. And the only thing that I really have to compare it to is, you know, I'm a big Chicago Bears fan and the Green Bay Packers have just kicked the Bears tail the last however many years, sort of like Ohio State has kicked Michigan's tail the last however many years. And I do know like that the first time the Bears beat the Packers, whatever that year is, I am going to be absolutely insufferable to all my Packer fan friends and just talk a relentless amount of smack. Now, having said that, there's a time and a place for it. And the Heisman Trophy presentation is not the time or the place. And I don't know. I I think there's, I don't want to say that Desmond's, you know, a bad guy for it because, you know, he's still on cloud nine. Like he's a Michigan man. He loves Michigan, yada, yada, yada. But it was, you know, Heisman Trophy is supposed to be a celebration of the best elite college football players. And Desmond Howard sort of made it into a divisive stir people up event based off of that witty remark. And he probably couldn't help himself, to be honest, but it was probably a little disappointing to see Desmond Howard react that way. Now, if he said that in any other setting, fair game, right? Like if he said that on college game day, if he said that on, you know, a Michigan donor event, whatever, who cares, right? Like, you know, Ohio state fans, getting mad about Michigan fans having fun for once in their life after they lose is kind of the ballad of the loser, in my opinion. But when you make that kind of, I don't know, you make that comment on national TV and when it's supposed to be CJ and the other three candidates night, and you kind of just put down one of the guys like that in that setting, it's pretty unclassy in my opinion. So what do you think Griffin? It was definitely an awkward moment, but I will say, all the, the the kind of talk that's been going on back and forth. First of all, last week you had the, the CJ Stroud making the, the flu outbreak comments, and that seemed to rile up some of the Michigan fans. Obviously, the comments from Josh Gaddis, Harbaugh, and now Desmond Howard are going to stoke the flames of the Ohio State fans. And this is why, you know, we kind of said, like, Michigan winning that game for the first time in 10 years. If you're an Ohio State fan, the, the positive is that it, it makes the rivalry more fun because now it's not just a given. Now there's it's a real rivalry again. And so next year's game is going to be all the more exciting for that. Now switching gears here a little bit, some, some people that are not going to be playing in that game next year for Ohio state, because they've hit the transfer portal. Of course, most recently is cornerback Ryan Watts, second year guy. He was an interesting guy because he was six foot three. I believe he, he entered the transfer portal last weekend. So we haven't gotten a chance to talk to that about that since last week's show. Now, he started the first game of the season for Ohio State at cornerback, but that was basically because of a couple injuries to guys like Seven Banks and Cam Brown. And after that, he didn't have a spectacular performance in that first start. And there, he didn't play in more than 19 snaps defensively in any game after that. I don't know if I was all that shocked to see that. And then a couple other transfer portal developments for Ohio State is that Craig Young, the hybrid linebacker safety landed at Kansas, which was which was an interesting thing. But of course, the biggest storyline in terms of transfer portal talk for Ohio State here in recent days is, of course, Quinn Ewers going back to Texas, the program that he originally committed to before decommitting 
and coming to Ohio State, he's going to link up with Sark and company down in Austin. And Garrick, I mean, how much did that surprise you, if at all? Because it, it did not really surprise me. And what are your expectations for Quinn Ewers in his, his first season with Texas? Not very. I mean, it didn't surprise me at all. Like we all knew he was going to go to a Texas school. And when the initial report came out that Texas Tech was the favorite to land him, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, right. (laughs) Um, But I mean, Quinn was a Texas commit before Ohio State. So it seemed like and if the reports are true that he was indeed homesick, it seemed like the most logical spot. I would think that, I mean, he's going there with especially with how underwhelming that Texas team was last year that he's going to start right away. And I mean, he's going to play Alabama week two and well, best of luck to you kid, but Griffin, we will never forget those two snaps. Quinn Ewers took (laughs) November 20th on Michigan's legacy left that can never be lived up to by any other quarterback. And, you know, I, so I kind of had this conversation with, you know, our five-star analyst, Dan Hope, and I previously covered Missouri in 2018, kind of at the tail end of the Michael Porter Jr. saga. Hmm. And I was like, hmm, which, which guy had, I, don't, I, could, I, I couldn't tell which guy, like when you take those two between the most hype with the fewest substance possible at that school and how it played out. And I mean, probably the answer is Quinn, to be honest, but I mean, because I think MPJ did end up playing like three games or something around that for Mizzou. But I I mean, this guy has been like heralded as, you know, a savior of Ohio state and, you know, a quarterback that Ryan day is going to turn into blah, 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 blah. And honestly, like, I'm kind of surprised how fast the fans have gotten over it, to be honest. You know, I, I posted a Devin Brown article and that was a conversation with, you know, Joe, his previous coach. And like most of the comments were like, man, I'm sold. Forget that Ewers guy. We got Devin Brown now. We're good to go. Now, of course, you know, all that can maybe be uh, re-brought up if Quinn lights it up week one and throws for 400 yards or something. And everyone's like, oh, man, crazy. But I mean... He's already spent a year in college. Who knows if that will help or deter him, considering he didn't f- finish out his senior year of high school. I I don't know. I mean, it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, we probably won't be able to watch it too much because we'll be too busy watching Ohio State games, but I'm sure we'll catch some highlights and some clips every now and then of mullet mania down in Texas, which is most certainly not back until proven otherwise, just putting that out there. I cannot disagree with that. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, the whole Texas thing, the, you know, exciting quarterback, it, it always felt to me like when yours was destined to become some type of next iteration of Johnny Manziel, maybe not the, the off field part of that necessarily, but just in terms of the drama and the, the interest from the general public in, in, in his game. And it does make sense him being in Texas, his home state and whatnot. But I think a lot of Ohio State fans were excited to see him bring that kind of feel to Ohio State. It would have been fun, but at the same time with him reclassifying coming early and then CJ Stroud being a Heisman finalist, I think a lot of people thought that he might end up transferring anyway. And that is what ended up happening. Now, a couple other headlines here in the Ohio State football world in the past few days, this will be a little bit old news by the time we're talking about it now, but it is new in the sense that it happened after last week's show is that Jim Knowles, Ohio State's new Defensive coordinator, of course, 
we, we got to see the contract details for him and he's going to be making $1.9 million in a, on a three-year deal, but, but that's an annual salary there, which would make him the, one of the highest paid assistants in the entire country. And then Mike Gundy for Oklahoma state came out and said that basically Ohio state outbid the Cowboys for Jim Knowles. And they, they made a real attempt at trying to keep him there, but they could not because Ohio state, you know, opened up the, the, the pocketbook there and, and paid Jim Knowles half a million dollars more than even Kerry Combs was making this past year. How did that, how did that number hit you when you heard what Jim Knowles is going to be making on the Buckeye coaching staff the next year and beyond? Well, first of all, Mike Gundy needs to change his damn shirt when he does press conferences next time. The guy had like a sweat stain the size of the Grand Canyon on his T-shirt, like when he opened that press conference. And I also enjoyed seeing him be asked a question about Twitter where steam was coming out of his head when anyone says the phrase Twitter around him because he's the most anti-social media person on the planet. But no, I mean, Gundy tried to kind of deflect back a little bit and I say that his AD told him to offer Jim a blank check and him going, well, you offer your wife a blank check. And I, I don't really know exactly what that means, but I didn't, I didn't quite understand that analogy, but right. I don't, I don't really know exactly what that means, but he said it. And I think that this means that Ohio state is serious about its defensive restructure. And I will say for as much as the big 12 is, known for being the 45 to 42 league. Oklahoma State was near the top defensively in almost every meaningful category and that that Oklahoma defense was pretty impressive under the scheme that Jim was using. What do you make of what he's going to bring to the Buckeyes schematically and kind of what we might be able to see from Jim Griffin? Well, I know there's been a lot of kind of competing ideas about it because of course, if you look at just the, the defensive numbers alone in terms of the year that Jim Knowles took over at Oklahoma State, the year before he took over versus this year, it's been a night and day difference in terms of the improvements made on that Oklahoma State defense. Now, I don't think there's going to be quite as much patience for a turnaround at Ohio State, just knowing how the fan base is. But I mean, his scheme seems to be very effective. It's been effective everywhere he's gone. Now we've heard even our, our X's and O's analyst, uh, Kyle Jones at 11 Warriors, he's kind of maybe said that the responsibilities on the defensive line for some of Ohio State's, you know, big time prospects, it might be something different for them. They might have to, to take on responsibilities that they wouldn't have had before. Now, how will that adjustment period go? I think that remains to be seen, but I certainly wouldn't put it past the, the talent that Ohio State's defense is going to have to be able to adjust enough to play well in a Jim Knowles system. By the way, screw the the patience of the fan base, which of course isn't very high. What about the patience of the head coach? I mean, he effectively benched Kerry after one game, week after two. Game. So, so forget about the patience of the fan base for the tolerance of a defense. You got to worry about having one mess up, and then all of a sudden you might have your defensive backs coach start calling plays on you. Now, I'm not saying that they should have stuck with Kerry or that they didn't make strides for a while there with Matt Barnes calling plays, but... I'm just saying that, you know, we've we've seen that one game makes sometimes Ryan Day hit DEFCON 3 and go code red and maybe change some things up. So, yes, I it will definitely be a lot less lax than it will at Oklahoma State, but pretty hard to argue that the guy's a very talented and skilled defensive mind. 
Yeah. And then just the, another thing we found out about his situation this past week was that, you know, he's not going to be taking over at Ohio state until January 2nd, the, the day after the, the bowl games and whatnot. But so that, that left over opened the door, the possibility that he was going to coach against Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl for Oklahoma state, which if you're, if you're Ohio state, you're going, well, we opened the 2022 season with Notre Dame. So man, I mean, that might be a good way for, for Jim Knowles to get, you know, really acquainted with the, the upcoming competitor there to the upcoming opponent to start next season, but he's actually not going to coach against Notre Dame after all. He, he will not be coaching in the Fiesta Bowl. And so his next, his next game is going to be for Ohio state coaching wise. But I think the, the other end of that is that now it gives him the opportunity to start focusing on Ohio state and the personnel there and everything like that before then. So he doesn't have to get too bogged down and, and still closing out that final game for Oklahoma state. I don't think it really matters much, to be honest, considering, I mean, you could also go the other side of the coin too and say, well, Notre Dame would have gotten their first look at what a Jim Knowles defense is like and what kind of play calls he throws at them and what kind of blitz packages he uses or whatever. And I mean, I'm still sure they're going to use most of the schemes of, you know, his defense and all that. It's not like they're going to restructure their entire defense over the course of a month when they play Notre Dame. But, you know, it won't be Jim calling it. So so you could go that side, too. And also personnel changes so much. Like, just think of, like, all the different defensive players Ohio State had week one compared to what it had in the national championship in 2020 against Alabama, right? Like defensive person, like personnel on both sides of the ball changes so much between them. And it's not like he's and, you know. Marcus Freeman, like that's going to be his first time as a head coach. So he's going to have all of one game to look at for film. So I really don't think it's like, I don't think that he'd have such a leg up on them if he coached in this game or he's going to be at a disadvantage because he doesn't coach in it. Cause I think it kind of goes both ways. So I don't think it really matters to be honest, but I don't know. I guess that's a question for him to answer not me. All right, Greg, as we start to wind down here a little bit, let's get into some basketball talk because, I mean, I I think both of us are pretty impressed after some of the recent performances that we've seen out of Ohio State. They're now off to an eight and two start after, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago when Ohio State was was getting ready to play Duke at home, if they would have lost that game, it would have been a four and three start for the Buckeyes in their first seven games. But you look back, they won that game against Duke, and now they're off to an 8-2 and start. They're back in the rankings, and they're up to number 15 in the country. And they've got another chance to kind of prove themselves as a nationally elite team against a very high-profile opponent in Kentucky when they take the court next on Saturday. Garrick, what do you think? Was was Saturday's win over Wisconsin, which was a, a blowout victory, kind of surprisingly so, is that the most impressed you've been with the Buckeyes so far this season? It was an impressive win. I don't want to take anything away from them, but I absolutely wouldn't call it their most impressive win. I think coming back down 14 points or whatever it was to the then number one team in the country in Coach K's swan song with the recruiting prowess and the talent that that team has is far more impressive than beating a decent team, Wisconsin, by 18. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Davis from Wisconsin is probably a, a future first round pick and a hell of a talent and is probably going to, you know, contribute a lot to this Big Ten season before it's all said and done. But there Wisconsin is a lot more of a top heavy team than Duke is. And I know that, you know, Duke has its own star and its own right and all that. But 
I mean, you look at the recruiting talent at Duke compared to Wisconsin, and it's just night and day difference of like recruiting rankings and things like that, right? So I would probably say it's probably their second most impressive win. So I, again, it was, I don't want to take anything away from them, but I think that to have the wherewithal to be down, getting your teeth kicked in, in the first half on the verge of falling to four and three, like you said, having a crowd go pretty silent. And then all of a sudden just clamping up defensively, making them go on a long scoring drought and chipping in enough offense to beat the number that undefeated team at the time is far more impressive than admittedly blowing the doors off of a pretty quality big 10 team. What do you think? EJ Liddell had 28 points in that game. I'll, I'll just say that I just was not expecting to see a blowout in that game. I mean, Ohio State was up 23 in the, in the final minute. And that was just something that I was not expecting. So, so that's why to me, it was, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was not expecting Ohio State to come back on Duke in the manner that they did, but just the fact that Ohio State was able to to actually close out and finish a team with a blowout result like that. That's something that we just haven't seen from Ohio State against Big Ten caliber opponents dating back to last season in the Big Ten tournament because it seemed like every game they played in, no matter how big a lead they had in the final few minutes, the other team was going to come back and it was going to be a game that came down to the wire. And so that's why- Let me why tell you something, folks. Nobody loves these close games as much as Griffin Strom. Nobody. He loves them, especially because it gives him- so much peace of mind while riding his Instacap in those last four minutes. He just goes, I want this to come down to the last possession verbatim. I heard him say that once it's, it's true. Let me tell you, they don't make it easy on me in Columbus there with a lot of these close, close finishes. But I think the last few games now for Ohio State, they've actually won like three in a row now by double digits. As a matter of fact, they're on a, a season high four game winning streak right now. EJ Liddell won the big 10 player of the week for the first time this year, this past week. And he said after the game, when we run our stuff, we're the best team in the nation easily. Now, I don't think I'm quite willing to agree with that statement as of yet, but they're certainly trending up. I mean, they're they're moving in a positive direction right now. I just know that in the past, we've seen Ohio State start good and, and lose several games in a row to, to Big Ten teams once January rolls around. So we, we that still remains to be seen. But I certainly like this Ohio State team a lot more now than I did a few weeks ago when they were on the verge of going four and three. I mean, they're a damn good team. I'll give them that. I don't know if best team in the country is, you know, I don't know about that, but I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt in terms of being a very good team right now. They got a legit star in EJ Liddell, and they've got a lot of players that have bought into their role. Don't try to do too much. Don't try to do more than what they're asked to. And really, you know, that's probably the mark of a team that could have a pretty special season. I guess really the only thing that remains to see is when can they keep playing up or down to their level of competition, because they certainly seem to do that quite a bit. If you look at their body of work, you know, Akron comes in, they need a last second possession to beat them. Towson comes in, they slog with them for a half before ultimately pulling away in the second half for a 11 point win or whatever it was. And then, you know, Duke comes in, they can beat them. Seton Hall on a neutral floor, they beat them. Florida, last second shot and loss, but hang with them toe to toe and basically their backyard. You know, I think college basketball, it's a lot more parody driven than per se college football. Whereas, you know, a team that's in, I don't know, 80 in the net rankings can conceivably beat a team that's ranked 30 and have it not be too completely far-fetched. Whereas in football, like if a team ranked 80 in the 
rankings or whatever beat a team bordering on the edge of the top 25, everyone would go, what the hell, what? But anyway, that's venturing off track, but just goes to say that I think eight and two considering, you know, justice still isn't with the team and is still recovering from his injury. Uh, I don't think you could really ask for anything more, especially because they don't have a bad loss on their resume right now. And unfortunately, Garrick, we will not be in Las Vegas for that game against Kentucky on Saturday, but we will be in Pasadena for the Rose bowl here in just a couple of weeks. And we're going to close out with this question here from super Clark 13 from 11 warriors, which is which player do you think makes the biggest leap slash improves his stock for next year during the bowl practices? And of course, you know, we haven't gotten to, to talk to, to too many guys about the Rose Bowl. So that's where we haven't had, you know, a lot of talk about the bowl game on this particular podcast. We will, though, next week and beyond as that game gets a little bit closer. But Garrick, what say you? What, which player do you think can take the biggest leap and improve their stock the most for Ohio State in these bowl practices as we ramp up here for the Utah game? I don't really know if it's because it's going to he's going to play in these bowl practices or whatever, like these bowl practices are going to like make him make this next step. But I really do think that Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably my pick, uh, my way too early pick, you can say, for the Buckeye that's going to take the biggest leap from this year to next year, uh, especially because he's probably going to likely be one of Ohio State's three starting wide receivers. So I mean, maybe depending on opt-outs, depending on, you know, maybe Chris Olave, maybe Garrett Wilson elect to not play in the game. Maybe they do elect to play in the game. But if either one of those guys or both of them decide not to play, you would think that Marvin Harrison Jr. is one of the next man up along with Julian Fleming to kind of get those snaps. And I think that Marvin Harrison, you know, if he goes into these bowl practices knowing that he's going to get a significant role, maybe the focus will be just a smidge tighter and he can really set himself up for what could be a breakout season in 2022. What yeah. about you? And who's your breakout player? I can't argue with that answer at all. I think, you, you know, you throw a Mecca Buka in the, in the same mix because, you know, if Ohio State's going to be losing two of their top three receivers, you're looking at Harrison Abuka and Fleming as kind of your three guys there to replace that production. So especially if one of those guys is to opt out, I think you have to look at one of those guys as being somebody that could definitely make a statement in the Rose Bowl potentially. Then on defense as well, you look at some of these, you know, freshman defensive ends like Jack Sawyer and, and JTT as guys that, you know, now they're, they're no longer freshmen in, in JT in particular, he was a guy that came in late. And, you know, by the time the, the bowl game happens, it's, it's going to, he's going to have had a lot more time in the system and everything like that to potentially have a big game and show why, you know, he'll probably be a starter next season, assuming that guys like Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and will be out of the system by then. I think another storyline as well might be how some of these young cornerbacks are developing for Ohio State, because if Seven Banks, if Cam Brown are both leaving and you just had a guy like Ryan Watts transfer out and you're not bringing in a guy like Eli Ricks from LSU, some of the other young cornerbacks are going to have to play for Ohio State next year. And will those guys make a jump during the bowl practices? That will be something to watch as well for Ohio State. But guys, that's going to wrap it up for us today here on Real Pod Wednesdays. We will get the dulcet tones of Daniel Hope back on the show. We hope next week. Um, yeah, I see what you did there. That's going to do it. That's going to do it from uh, me and Garrick Hodge here today. We'll see you guys next week. And thanks for listening.